Welcome to Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, brought to you by the Sportsman Channel. All hunting, all fishing, all the time. Contact your local network provider and ask about the Sportsman Channel today. Now here's your host of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio, Christian Berg. Welcome to the latest episode of Peterson's Bowhunting Radio. As always, we're happy that you've taken some time to join us today and uh, learn a few things that uh, are always designed to make you a more effective predator out there in the woods. As I sit here today, it is coming in on the tail end of July, which means hunting season is just a month or two down the road. And uh, if you're anything like me, you've maybe had some good intentions to get a food plot in or spruce up one that you already had and here it is close to the first of august and you're still kind of sitting on those good intentions well we got some good news for you today because the guest that we have is one of the most knowledgeable uh... food plot experts uh... this side of the equator and that is none other than steve scott steve is the vice president of the Whitetail Institute of North America, and we are sure happy that you took some time to spend with us today, Steve. Christian, I appreciate those kind words, and uh, appreciate the opportunity of being on with you guys. Well, man, I'll tell you what. When you see a name like the Whitetail Institute, that just kind of impresses me. I think, do you wear like a, a white lab coat to work every day? And <laughs> well, I mean, What are you guys doing at the Institute? Well, unfortunately, I don't wear a, a lab coat. If I did, I'd get a lot of laughs when I came to work. But uh, we've got uh, we've got the scientists here, and we've got a biologist, we've got a agronomist, we've got weed scientists, we've got the guys that wear the lab coats, and uh, we do a lot of research. We answer a lot of questions for people over the phone, and uh, continually working on improving our existing product line and developing new products to help people uh, with different applications as far as uh, their needs for their specific food plots. Now, I don't know if people necessarily make the, the connection. Uh, I mean, I'm certainly aware. I know a lot of people are. But now, your dad, who started the, the Whitetail Institute, that's Ray Scott, who's probably even more famous for the work that he did with BASS and getting the you know professional bass fishing circuit going and then the Bassmaster Classic, of course, and everything that that's become. But the Scott family is every bit as enthusiastic about white-tailed deer hunting as it is about bass fishing, right? Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, from a personal standpoint, hunting's always been my first love. And my dad's uh, little statement that he used to make, that he made his he made his living from fishing, and he spent all of his money on hunting. <laughs> and uh, so hunting's always been a big passion of ours. And uh, when he kind of moved on to, from, from bass over the years, he uh, was looking for something else and, and, you know, discovered really through accident some some food plot preferences, uh, you know, as we planted food plots down here back in the 70s, uh, discovered some things and got to, he's always had a unique mind in that he wants to, he wants to know more about certain things. He found out some things that deer like better than what we traditionally been planting and, you know, and through some, through some contact and some money spent, he uh, was able to figure some things out and that's where really the Whitetail Institute started in 1988. We started the food plot industry, and uh, Imperial Whitetail Clover was our first product. Yeah, you guys, since, you guys were really the first ones, right, to market, uh, at least on a national scale, products, yeah. seeds, and things like that, specifically for critters, right? Yes, we were. We were the first ones to do it. I mean, there's been some uh, revision of stuff written out there, but uh, 
Uh, we're credited from a lot of different people for starting it, and uh, we're the only ones doing it for years and years and years. And, uh, of course, now there's a, a multitude of products on the market, of course, and, you know, with the American Capitalist Society, uh, sure. uh, uh, other people come into the game, and, and that's great because it's made more people aware of the benefits of food plots, and so the consumer really wins because they, they know more. There's more choices out there. Uh, it keeps everybody on their toes, and but uh, we've always felt like imitation is the most sincere form of flattery, and we appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you guys started this, and, and you said 88, the, I don't even know if the word food plot existed at least not in the vernacular of the average deer hunter and now there's an entire industry that just revolves around food plots between the seed and the fertilizer and the equipment that you can either do with your tractors your ATVs and what have you I mean my goodness there there are there are entire you know books and magazines devoted to nothing but food plotting so it's pretty You're exactly amazing. right it has it's come a long way and I can remember you know 20 years ago or so when I'd answer the phone and somebody be calling in and they'd be going, now explain what a food plot is. And, uh, and, and, and many, many, many times that happened. And, uh, we've come a long ways over the last 20 years. Most people are familiar with it. It's become, you know, just, just, just part of the industry. It's kind of neat. Uh, numbers hadn't been figured out, but the economic impact that food plots have had, you know, in the whole country, is uh it would be staggering and uh, I hesitate to take a guess but hundreds of millions at least uh, when you consider all of the uh, lime fertilizer seed uh, fuel tractor fuel and tractors being bought and all the ATV implements I mean the list goes on and on and on and the other thing I like to talk about is uh, uh is it's a great way for hunters not only to improve their hunting to attract more deer to their property and hopefully uh, uh provide the correct nutrition to help them be more healthy. But at the end of the day, food plots is one of the one of the few things in the hunting industry, maybe the only thing that actually benefits the wildlife as well as the hunter himself. The animals benefit, and uh, we often get up on our soapbox and say, you know, challenge PETA to come out and say, you know, tell us what you're doing for the for the wildlife as a whole. We're spending hundreds of millions at least, uh, and we're putting our money where our mouth is, along with our efforts, uh, and we're pretty proud of what we do. That's yeah, that's absolutely right, and. Uh... That's a that's a good big big picture you know perspective to take on the whole food plot phenomenon, uh, but I bet you what our readers really want to know is getting back to what what I was talking about at the very beginning of the show, which is uh, it's almost the first of August, Steve. The food plot that I had looks like uh, well looks looks kind of lousy. Okay, or else I didn't have one in the first place. So I've either got one that's gone to pot, or uh, or I I wanted to put one in this spring and I didn't do it. Am I a lost cause, or is there still hope for a guy like me to get something done in time for hunting season? No, there's still hope. Uh, pretty much the entire country uh, can still do some things. I guess unless you're right up on the Canadian border, your your planning dates uh, are are waning for sure. But the further you know, once you get off that Canadian border and come south, you've got time to do things. Depending on how much further south you are, is going to dictate how much time. In other words, uh, for a guy that's up in the you know very upper part of the country, he's going to need to get moving now. He needs to do something probably within the next few weeks. Uh, and there's definitely some products that he can plant and be very successful. You know, in the middle of the country, they can plant all the way till you know middle of September, and in the deep south, you know, they can plant all the way into middle to late October even. Uh, so depending on where they are, uh, it's going to dictate when they need to do things. But the further north they are, the quicker they need to get moving for sure. Now, let's assume that people that are 
you know, just starting to think about this at this point of the year, they're not, uh, they're not people with, you know, I don't have a big hundred acre field that's just sitting there fallow to go, you know, get my equipment in there. I'm thinking specifically for hunting purposes, maybe a little bit of feeding, but uh, maybe I've got uh, a few acres or maybe I've just got a small plot. How do you even go about coming up with a strategy for what kind of a, a food plot type program you might do with the hunting area that you have available? Well, and that's a, that's a great question, and everybody's situation is going to be different, of course. Uh, uh, but one of the things that we've seen a lot of is, is, you know, is for the hunting purposes, and it may be, you know, as small as a, you know, an eighth of an acre up to an acre. A lot of plots, so those sizes buried back in the woods, you know, kind of secret spot type areas that hopefully they know about, nobody else does. And uh, if if they want to move quickly on something that's extremely easy to plant. Uh, we can start with the very basics. As a matter of fact, we've got a product that's called Secret Spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's designed for those little small clearings in the woods. The minimum requirements to get to some performance out of those are is, you know, we need to get rid of whether it be grass or weeds or sticks or debris or whatever. We need to expose the dirt as, if possible, either with a rake or a, a garden tiller or maybe an ATV implement or, you know, uh, uh, what have you, depending on how big it is, it's going to be dictate a little bit about what kind of equipment but if you can expose the dirt so that we get seed and soil contact and apply some fertilizer uh, we've got that product called secret spot in two different package sizes one covers 4,500 square feet you're looking at less than $13 for a bag of seed uh, the bigger bag uh, plants 10,000 square feet which is you know just uh, right at a quarter of an acre uh, and it's under 20 bucks uh, so you're looking at uh, 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 an opportunity to uh, plant something real quick. Two guys can go out uh, with a couple of rakes and a, a small half a bag of fertilizer or so, and they can go out and create them a couple of spots in about a half a day on a Saturday one day. Mm-hmm. They can, uh, you know, or, or whatever day they're off, obviously. They can go out and scratch up the ground, uh, put a little fertilizer out, plant the seed, and then when hunting season rolls around, they're going to have a reason for the deer to have them to spend more time on their property. Now, what's in that secret spot? Is that a mix of different uh, uh, foods in there? It is. It's, a, it's a, about 10 to 15 different seeds. Uh, you're looking at everything from cereal grains to clovers to brassicas. There's something in there that's going to uh, uh, perform in just about any application. One other, one other requirement that I failed to mention just a second ago when I talked about that is sunlight. It is going to need three to four hours of sunlight a day. So if it's a uh, you know a, a little small clearing in the woods or a logging road or something along those way uh, along those lines, it, it should work fine. But that sunlight requirement, of course, is there to make the science work. Uh, but the, see, the the blend is put together where it's going to perform in just about any application, uh, depending on how good a job they do as far as exposing the soil, you know. And there's some other variables involved. Is going to dictate uh, do they get a hundred percent performance from all the seeds or do they get 80 percent performance from the seed either way it's going to be real real good um obviously you know the, the more they do up front the better the performance is going to be yeah absolutely and um you know you talked about the requirements the sunlight and and seed to soil contact and some fertilizer and that sort of thing i mean you know i've certainly uh, heard my share of stories and even had some experience myself where, you know, you, you get excited about doing something, you pick yourself up a bag of seed at the local, you know, Agway or what have you, you go out into the woods, you put this stuff down and nothing really happens and you think to yourself, 
huh, well, that was just a waste of my time or a waste of my money. But really, I mean, there's just certain laws, as you say, the science of it. I mean, plants need certain things to grow. And I know a big thing that you guys at the Whitetail Institute have done over the years, because we've talked about it in the past, is you really offer a lot of educational materials to help people to understand what they need to be successful so you don't have people spinning their wheels, you know, as, as I, you know, just explained that, you know, people do sometimes. So uh, tell me about some of the things that, you know, people need to do, like soil test, I know, is a big one, right, with you guys. It is. It's something that uh, soil testing, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important step in having a successful food plot. It can make the difference between the best food plot possible and total failure. Uh, it's really the best money somebody could spend. Now, backing up a little bit, when we're talking about the secret spot and people having to move quickly on food plots, by following the, gen- following the general recommendations that are on the bag, they can, they can kind of cut that corner. Uh, in the long term, it's not a corner that people want to cut. Um, uh, there are some, some, some basics in the planting process and the soil test. Again, I'll go back to that. Uh, soil test is simple to do. It's cheap to do. It's about 10 bucks or less. Uh, they can get them done at Agricultural University, Soil Conservation Service. We also offer soil testing services here at the Whitetail Institute, uh, where we will send them everything they need. They just got to send the soil into the lab, get it analyzed. It takes all the guesswork out as far as what nutrients uh, whether it be fertilizer and or lime, needs to be added to the soil to give the plants a chance to flourish, which in turn is going to draw more deer. Mm-hmm. So there's some basic information out there. But, you know, as far as the the best places to get information, uh, number one is we have a website, whitetailinstitute.com. I mean, it's a huge website with a tremendous amount of information there that can help people be successful. Another way, sometimes people don't want to do a bunch of reading. They want to talk to somebody Monday through Friday. 8 to 5 Central Time, we have consultants available, and that's what they do. They answer questions all day long, take orders and answer questions. Uh, it's 800-688-3030. Call that 800. It's on our dime. They call. They can ask any questions they want. Hopefully, they're planting Whitetail Institute products, but if they're not, uh, we'll help them with whatever they're planting best we can. Now, that, um, that, that's a, what's that number again, Steve? It's 800 688 3030. And I can call that number anytime I want and basically pick somebody's brain about my, my food plot. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we do all day long. And, uh, matter of fact, every office, including mine, uh, and, and, and all the owners and everybody that works here has a strobe light in their office. If all the consultants are tied up, you may end up having to talk to an owner or, or whoever, but we will answer the phone as quickly as possible. And, that's what we're here for is to help people be successful because we know that if we do that, we're going to have a very educated as well as successful customer that will come back and uh, buy from us over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk a little bit more about, uh, you know, you mentioned Secret Spot as a, something that people can do right now. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, again, you got to have sunlight. If you go into a totally mature hardwood forest and just clear, you can, you can, you know, rake the leaves away and expose dirt and even turn it up a little bit. But without light, you know, you're kind of, you're, you're, you are fighting an uphill battle. And I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is they think they can just throw that stuff down and it'll grow. But there's a reason that there's not a whole lot growing as it is, you know, in that understory in some of them. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And it's typically a sunlight situation. And if there's, if there's not some grass or something there now, 
uh, there's probably a reason for it. And uh, in that situation, you may have to, you know, again, be careful with this. But if there's junk trees that you can drop to open up the canopy to allow more sunlight in, there's things you can do there. But I'd hesitate to tell somebody to rush out with their chainsaw this afternoon. It's all a bunch of trees down to plant a food plot. I'd do a little bit more planting than that. Right. Um, but if they've got a logging road or a little clearing or a pond dam or a fire lane, uh, things like that are a little opening where your old home site used to be, what have you, those typically make great, great spots. And you can't, and, and like you said, with a little bit more planning, uh, people do all the time uh, on, you know, certainly if you have some acreage that you control or if you have permission from a landowner, um, you know, there are consultants you know, who do habitat management all the time that'll take, you know, a bulldozer right into the middle of a big patch of timber and, you know, go ahead and clear out, you know, an acre or two, uh, can create an opening there and have a tremendous food plot, even in a surrounded, you know, by the forest like that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on where a guy, you know, he's got a big block of timber and he understands that, you know, he's got a lot of hardwoods on it, say oak trees that, you know, he has a lot of attraction in the early hunting season when the acorns are on the ground. But once the acorns are either consumed or rotted or what have you, the deer seem to disappear. He un- a lot of these guys understand what's going on there. They don't have food to carry them into the uh, middle of the season as well as the later season. So they are going in, you know, even with dozers. I'd highly recommend that somebody work in conjunction with a forester to make sure they're maximizing uh, uh, their income. And they may even want to do some, uh, you know, some 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 two, three, four acre clearings, whatever's economical for them and whoever's cutting the timber, sell the timber off a few acres, mm-hmm. cut it, get the stumps out of the way, and then create a food plot right in the middle of a big jungle. Right. You mentioned the, the, the timing, too, and having foods available to carry you through the season. I want to share a little story uh, about a, uh, an area that I hunted uh, several years back, and I, I since have stopped hunting this property because I moved and uh, unfortunately, it's just, it's not convenient for me anymore, but it's a great spot. And uh, there were some old fallow fields on the property, Steve. And uh, we, the guy who owns the land has a tractor and uh, was generous enough to say, yeah, you know, if you guys buy the uh, the seed and the fertilizer, I'll turn the ground for you and spread the stuff and uh, get you guys going with the food plot. And man. We were so excited because I'm telling you what, we cleared this ground, uh, we sprayed it and turned it and fertilized and limed it and put our seed in, and man, this food plot we put in looked great, and we figured, oh baby, we are going to kill some deer, you know, over this little, uh, like, two-acre field, right? Well, we had put brassica in, Steve, and I got to tell you, we ended up feeding a lot of deer that winter and we didn't kill a single one off of that plot because by the time that brassica had really become attractive to the deer the, the archery season was essentially over and uh it was a great resource i mean they ate that thing down to bare dirt but uh there is something to be said for actually having a plan and having the right things for the right time uh, in terms of what you're growing isn't there there is. There's no doubt it is. I mean, there's, you know, there's some guys that, you know, they're going to fill their tags in the early bow season. And if that be the case, you know, typically they're going to want to plant stuff that's more attractive in the early season. And a guy that's going to do uh, more late season hunting, you know, those brassicas are a good choice. One thing I will mention to you in a, in a, in a little bit of an advertisement here is we, uh, we have a brassica product called Wintergreens. Uh, when we developed this product, uh, uh, we selected strictly off of preference. 
what does a deer like best. Uh, and that particular product, I, I put it up against anything that's out there that the deer, uh, I can say rarely have we ever had that comment where the deer aren't hitting it during the actual hunting season. Uh, it's very, very, very attractive, produces a lot of tonnage, grows real, real, real fast, very drought resistant. Uh, and as far as the Nebraska family goes, it's going to be hard to beat. Another product that we just introduced called uh, Tall Time Turnips, same exact thing. We selected off of preference. What do the deer like the best? And uh, and that's uh, uh, the way we've done things that way so that the deer do get the benefit, you know, during hunting season. Um, uh, and, and you guys get the benefit of, of the deer using it during hunting season as opposed to after the hunting season's gone out. Um, what What's the mix, Steve, of... Uh... You know, I know obviously plat, brassica, and turnips, which are similar. There's clover, uh, alfalfa, chicory, probably some other things that I'm leaving out of the mix here. What would be sort of your general categories of things that deer are hitting sort of preseason, early season, and then late season in terms of the crops, the food plot crops that you'd offer, and, and how you might want to rotate them or offer a variety in, in different parts of your hunting area? Uh, that's a good question. Um, you know, and it's going to vary depending on what part of the country you're in. For example, you know, when, when Minnesota's covered up with two or three feet of snow, a guy in Mississippi, you know, his product, his, 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 uh, forage seeds that he planted is still going to be growing. So it, it varies, you know, depending on where they are. But as a general rule, for example, imperial white silk clover, uh, it's, it's the gold standard in the food plot industry is what, you know, all products are compared to. It's, uh, extremely high in protein. For the spring and summer, when deer are growing their antlers, uh, it helps raise the protein level to give them an opportunity to grow bigger antlers. Helps helps does also produce more milk for their fawns. It helps overall health of deer, but also for the spring, summer, and fall, it's hard to beat. And it goes on in depending on where you are. Well on into hunting season, I would say sometime depending on how deep the snows get and whether or not we get a crust of ice on it. But uh, oh, well on into November. Uh, and, and usually after that time, it's going to have gone kind of dormant, be covered up with snow, what have you, up in the north. Of course, in the, again, in Mississippi, it'll still be growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, your cereal grains, whether it be wheat, rye, oats, what have you, typically they're most attractive in the earlier season. Um, again, there's some variables there depending on regions. Uh, and then for the late season, it is hard to beat. When I say late season, you know, December, January, what have you, it's hard to beat. The uh, Nebraska family, whether it be our wintergreens product, whether it be our tall pine turnips product, uh, and one product that we blended uh, that gives you the uh, early and late season attraction uh, is our Nebraska product blended with our winter hardy oats. Uh, the oats for early season, of course, Nebraska for the later season. So you get the best of both worlds in that one bag. And now what about more traditional agricultural crops? Uh, obviously, if you hunt in an area where there's farming going on, there's probably already a fair amount of corn and soybeans you know, in your area where the deer are going to take advantage of those when they're available. What about food plotting with that kind of stuff? Do you guys recommend you know, those kind of traditional crops uh, for food plotting? Do you offer products along that line, or, or is that something that you recommend people stay away from? No, it's not, you know, ideally you'd be in an agricultural area where somebody else is doing it for you. Hopefully your neighbor's got several hundred acres of each planted, uh, and they can benefit you from, a, you know, just providing more tonnage and being able to feed more deer. Uh, as far as food plotting, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to discourage somebody from doing it if they've got the property to do it. The, the limitations are this, is if you go out and plant agricultural beans on a half acre or an acre, 
there's a real good chance the deer are going to decimate it before it has a chance to grow. Uh, you just spend a lot of money on time and effort on getting a food plot planted, and the deer, you know, God bless them, don't have enough sense to let it get up over two or three inches tall, and they bite it off and, you know, and kill it. We've developed a product for spring planting called Power Plant that better withstands the grazing. Again, it's not bulletproof. Corn, you know, I think has a place uh, if people have the land. But, again, I'd hesitate to tell somebody to go and plant it on a half acre or an acre uh, because of the same problem. The deer just wiping it out real, real quick. And the other problem you've got is is corn's very expensive to plant and grow. Right, it's, uh, it's fertilizer intensive. Yeah, it is. It is, and uh, uh, and they, and, you know, if if a guy's got enough ground to do it, and then I'm talking about you know some bigger fields and and, and some substantial acreage, you know, he, he should probably seriously consider those. Uh, you know, what he can do if he's got enough ground, he can plant enough uh, beans to harvest some of them to help offset some of his cost and leave some for the deer which we've done, on, or personally, we've done on some areas. Uh, we leave the majority of it for the deer. But, uh, and that's one question we've got a lot over the last 20 years. A guy called from, you know, say, Illinois, and, hey, I've got, you know, corn and beans as far as the eye can see. They're everywhere. Why in the world do I need to plant a food plot? Well, here and here's what we tell them. It gives them a chance to differentiate their property when they've got a different, more variety out there as opposed to just beans and corn, whether it be imperial clover, whether it be wintergreen, tall time turnip, pure tracks, whatever. gives them something to differentiate their product from everybody else here in the Midwest. But the big key is this. For example, our perennials, like imperial clover, it's the first thing to green up in the spring. And let's say it greens up, uh, you know, whatever, first middle part of March. Uh, it greens up and starts to grow, and the deer start to feed on it. Deer start growing their antlers roughly, and again, this varies somewhat, but let's just use the middle of March, late March, they start growing their antlers that they're going to have on their heads the next fall when you hunt them. Mm -hmm. Protein is critical to how big those antlers can get. Soybeans and corn typically aren't planted to, again, it's region specific, but let's just say typically say sometime in May, and the deer may start feeding on them sometime in June. If they start growing antlers, say, in late March, and they only start feeding on those agricultural crops in June, they've missed anywhere from a third to half of the antler growing process as far as having a high-quality food available to help them grow better-quality antlers, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense there. If I, if, again, I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, the main thing is it's available much sooner than your, your agricultural crops, yeah. and after the crops are harvested in the fall... Yeah. Uh, with the quality of the combines that they've got now, they don't leave as much on the ground as they used to. The food plots are available typically earlier than the agriculture is available, and it's available much longer into the season after yeah. agricultural is available. So it sounds like what you're saying is basically, you know, you wouldn't recommend that anyone make a corn and soybeans a foundation of their food plot program. If you only have enough land uh, to do a couple small plots, You'd be much better served by doing uh, some a couple good, well-established, you know, clover fields. And even if you have a little bit more property and you can, you know, take it a little further than the than the small landowner, uh, even then you want to mix in some corn and soybeans, maybe as kind of down the road but your foundation would be more your clover fields uh, your brassicas for for the late season and just the idea of providing uh, some alternatives to the deer not only alternatives for when the, the the agricultural crops are available but when they're not available to give them something to 
kind of tide them over through those leaner times of the year. Yeah, I think that's I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, unless a guy's got a really a substantial, and again, I use the word substantial because you know that's kind of relative to different people. But if they've only got a few acres to plant uh, or a few plots to plant, I would hesitate to tell anybody to go plant corn or beans because I think there's a good chance if they've got any deer population at all that they'd be disappointed with the uh, long-term results. And again, we don't have anything against corn and beans. Um, uh, you know, and I, and I love to hunt over them in the Midwest sometimes, but, uh, for us, for, for a guy that's food plotting on smaller acreage, I don't think it's the best choice in our opinion. And if you had to pick just one, just one product, you'd, sounds like you're saying you'd go with a, a, a good field of, uh, white-tailed clovers hard to beat, huh? Yeah, sure. You know, if, uh, if they've only got one thing they can plant, imperial white-tailed clover is, uh, what I would recommend if the guns to me. Now, I would say... I start asking some questions, <laughs> and those questions would be, what kind of soil do they have? And what I mean by that is imperial white till clover is a shallow-rooted plant. It needs to be planted on good soil that holds moisture. Uh, uh, and, you know, of course, they need a soil test. They need to lime and fertilize appropriately. But if they plant it following our instructions, uh, they are looking at a crop that's as attractive as anything out there. Uh, it also provides extremely high level of nutrition, protein specifically, and uh, and it's something that should last them three to five years without having to replant it. Mm-hmm. And all all you really have to do is, uh, you know, just kind of keep it mowed down every so often, right? And that's going to prevent a lot of your other weeds that would compete with it from really establishing themselves. Yes, yeah, so, you know, and that's all part of the planting procedure. They can pre- they can prevent a lot of future weed and grass competition by doing a better job before they plant the seeds. Uh, and all that information is available as well. We can walk through each one of those steps. It gets somewhat technical, but we can walk through those steps. But yes, uh, typically if they'll fertilize it once, maybe twice a year, and keep the weeds and grasses mowed down, they should expect a good quality crop for three to five years. And you guys offer, like you said, you have resources available where, you know, you don't just throw somebody a bag of seed and say, here you go, Sonny, good luck. You, you, you actually walk them through the entire process from going from a, you know, a, a bear or weed, basically from a weed patch to a food plot, right? From killing, killing the weeds, preparing the soil, sowing your, applying your lime and fertilizer, sowing your seeds, and then maintaining the, the plot once it's established, right? We pretty much do everything but shoot the deer farm and gut them. And, and, and we, you guys have some products, some instructional-type products along those lines? We do. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, we have a, uh, a promotion that we do where we offer a sample of uh, about seven different seeds, They're little small packets of seed where people can go out and test them if they want to. But even more significant than that comes with that is a DVD. It's about an hour long, and it's got everything from A to Z and then some uh, on, on how to select the right product and how to be successful with that particular product. Tremendous amount of information. They can get those seeds and that DVD. It's free. All they pay is shipping and handling. They're going to pay $9.95 shipping and handling. They're going to get the seeds and the DVD, and it'll get them way, way, way down the road as far as understanding what they need to do to be successful with food plots and start getting those benefits. And what's the name of that DVD, Steve? Producing Trophy Whitetails. And, uh, you know, obviously you'd love people to watch that DVD and, and get so excited that they call and order, you know, 500 pounds of Whitetail Institute product. But the fact of the matter is the information that's on that DVD is going to help 
people who want to do food plots, even regardless of whatever they decide to do, there, there are tips, techniques, and tactics there that are going to benefit them, uh, you know, no matter what, right? Absolutely. No matter what they decide to plant, they're definitely going to get some extremely beneficial information from that DVD. No matter if they decide to plant Whitetail Institute products or whatever other brands of products, or if they're just going to go to the co-op, you know, and buy something out of a bucket. You know, they're going to get information that will help them be more successful from that DVD. And it's, uh, I'll, I'll say this, the two best, the best $20 you can spend at being successful on food plots are 10 bucks on this DVD and those seed samples and 10 bucks on a soil sample before mm-hmm. they plant. Uh, and for 20 bucks, I mean, they're way, way, way down the road. They've eliminated a lot of the mistakes that a lot of people have made in the past. Yeah, you can get more mileage out of that 20 bucks than the 200 or 300 you're going to spend on the seed and fertilizer, right? No doubt. No now, doubt. Now, you mentioned something else. Let, I, I, I want to hear your answer to this question because I'm not completely sure, you, you know, myself, although I, I have my suspicions. Um, I actually had a conversation. You, you mentioned... Uh, going to the co-op you know and just buying some seed there where, where i live there's um there's a farm store a farm service because there's a lot of a lot of farms in the area where i live here in pennsylvania and uh, some friends of mine own the local farm service store and we were having a debate about ladino clover okay and I said oh i can get it you know so many pounds for this price and you know all that stuff the whitetail institute and the other brands they've got their other clovers out there and you know it's two times three times the price it's ladino clovers ladino clover what is you know the reason for you know the food plot stuff maybe being a little bit more expensive than what you can get at the co-op and is there really a difference from one seed to another even if it's labeled as the same species or what have you yeah, that's a that's a great question and a question that we've been answering for 20 years. You know, the guy said, hey, you don't need to pay a little extra for that stuff or pay so much for extra for that stuff. You get the same stuff at the co-op. And, uh, and you know, I hesitate to to uh, say the word that's on my mind, but let me kind of tell you where the differences are. Um, uh, and, and, again, I don't think it's anything being done maliciously in most cases. I think it's a lack of knowledge for in most cases, uh, not understanding what we do specifically. Um, uh, there's more type clovers than there is cars and the performance varies just as greatly. Mm. Now, with that being said, I can, for example, Imperial white tail clover is the gold standard in the hunting industry. Our agronomists have developed, genetically developed varieties of seeds that go into that product. Spend a bunch of money and a bunch of time making sure it's the best it could possibly be. Now, if I just wanted to compete in the marketplace just on price, I could cut my cost, I could cut it 50% or more by just going out into the open market and buying quote-unquote Ladino clover. Mm. But the reason we don't do that is is because of the performance. We found that our customer base is willing to, you know, and it's not, you know, a lot of times you hear those numbers two, three, four times as high, it's out of sight. It's generally, if, uh, if people are shopping, uh, our particular product's not going to, it's, it's not going to be double. I mean, it may be half again or a little more sometimes. But again, let's say it's another 30 bucks for a bag of seed that plants two or three acres. You know, you're looking at about 10 bucks an acre. And by the time he gets through buying fertilizer, lime, his, tr- his fuel, uh, uh, his hopes and his dreams, that $10 an acre is going to be, you know, 
pardon the expression, but like peeing in the ocean, it's going to be insignificant. Mm-hmm. The seed cost is insignificant, but people get choked up on it sometimes when the seed is typically the only thing that can really make a difference. And we've had hundreds, if not thousands of people that we've uh, that have planted our product, Imperial White Clover, or one of our brassicas right beside, whether it be a competitor or a generic, and we've won out hands down. Where they're walking through other products to get to ours, ours coming up quicker, ours lasting longer, and it's just you know, in our opinion, no doubt, it's a genetically superior product, and people will see it in the fields. So, your advice to anyone who might be skeptical is go ahead and do your own field test if you want, huh? But- Absolutely, I would encourage people to do that. You know, we do it every year, and we've been doing it for twenty something years. I can save them a little bit of money and tell them what the results are going to be. But they also know I have an ulterior motive trying to get in their wallet. Yeah, that's where I make my living. But if they want to prove to themselves, plant it side by side with whatever they can dream up, I would highly recommend that they do that. And then they can call us next spring and get some more. So the bottom line is the guys in the white lab coats at the Institute are developing hybrids, if you will. I guess that's what we'd call them, right? Hybrid-type uh, clovers that are really, are they proprietary to your product? Yes, we've got proprietary seeds that are available nowhere else in the world except in our products that have been developed uh, uh, by our agronomist. Gotcha, gotcha. So it's something that, uh, you know, we made a decision over 20 years ago that we were going to sell absolutely nothing but the best we could possibly make and develop. And we knew the reason be- the reason we did that is because if we were going to be there 20 years from now, which we are, we've grown every year we've been in business, our business has grown, and we knew that if we were going to continue to grow and be here 20 years later, that it would be because of the quality of the product, not the money that we made. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason we pour a lot of money back into the research and development of these products, whether it be improving an existing product or developing new products. We spend a lot of time. For example, tall time turnips, six years in the making. We could have, we could have gone on the open market and bought turnips and put out a picture with a big deer on the bag and sold it. But then then at the end of the day, we are no different. We didn't do that. We spent six years selecting the most attractive turnips we could possibly come up with, developed our own particular variety that's available nowhere else, and that's what you get when you buy tall time turnips. Where where do you guys do your testing? Do you have your own facility there with your own herd of deer, and you actually... You know, put out pepperoni, sausage, and mushroom pizza, and then see which one they eat. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, kind of. That's that's what we do. We have a we have a facility here uh, that we do a lot of the initial testing on, as far as we can evaluate uh, uh, from different for different choices that we want to make. We can evaluate in, in labs, if you will, on smaller areas. Then we expand into some larger areas that we have here, as well as in Tennessee, as well as up in New York. Uh, uh, and one thing I will mention is we also have what's called satellite research facilities. Uh, there's several hundred of them all over the country, and that's everywhere from Minnesota down into Florida and everywhere in between. So we are testing all over the country uh, for, for whatever the selection process needs to be. In other words, we got to make sure that if it's going to be sold in Minnesota, that it's extremely winter hardy. If it's going to be sold in South Mississippi, it's got to be extremely drought tolerant and heat tolerant. So we're doing all that way ahead of the game before it goes into the bag and before it hits the customer's hands. So just because you guys are based in Alabama, that doesn't mean that somebody in uh, New Hampshire would think that, you know, oh, well, uh, they just have stuff for down south, right? 
That's not the no. case. No, that's not the case. And, uh, you know, it's something that I think New Hampshire, uh, uh, you know, they're, you know, population-wise are down, but they do a tremendous amount of business with us. Uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, of course, have a lot more hunters, do a lot of business with us. Winter hardiness is not an issue with our products. Uh, uh, we develop them, and when we research and develop them, they always go through those cold environments to make sure they're going to hold up under real-world applications. And these are these satellite research facilities are really they're just regular guys. You know, they're people that are you know are hunters, but they're just very passionate about food plots, and they want to kind of be on the cutting edge of things and know what's going on. And they you know they take seeds from us. Generally, they're unmarked. They don't know exactly what it is. It may be three or four different products that we're testing ours against. We want to know which one's preferred the best to make sure it's going to match up with what we found through our efforts. Uh, and these guys, some of them will write dissertations back to us on their evaluations. Mm. And uh, and it's you know it's fun. Uh, it's time consuming. It gets expensive. But at the end of the day, when the product has Whitetail Institute logo on it, we know it's the best it could possibly be. Mm-hmm. Well, Steve, the last thing I want to touch on. And, um, you know, I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say about this because, you know, we covered a lot of ground in the last 45 minutes about the Whitetail Institute and everything that you guys have to offer people, not only in terms of products, but in, in terms of education uh, and support through, through the process. Um, now let's take it to the hunting. I mean, obviously, I, th- I think we can say safely that more than 90% of your customers get into this food plot game with the idea of killing deer. But as I learned uh, with my experience, and as most people learn, I think, pretty early on, it's not a magic formula where you, you know, put the seed on the ground, the plants grow, you set up your tree stand and, and shoot old mossy horns. It just doesn't always work that way. Um, what kind of a philosophy do you have about hunting on plots, and what kind of support or advice does Whitetail Institute offer to its customers in terms of trying to incorporate hunting plans into the design of the, the plots, or are you guys more just focused on the, the agricultural end of it? No, we, uh, we, we spend a lot of, lot of time and effort, and the majority of time and effort, on the, on the ag side of things as far as helping people make sure they get it done right and then maintain it right. But the reality is we want them to be successful as possible hunting either on them or near these fields as well. And there are some do's and some don'ts on these food plots. And, again, we get into small properties and large properties. But some of the basics are this. Is, is, is they planned, as, as people start thinking about their property, whether it be, you know, whether it be 20 acres or whether it be, you know, 2,000 acres, they need to think about where they're going to put their food plots and not only thinking about where they're going to put them, but how are they going to get to those food plots to hunt them and how are they going to get out away from those food plots, say, you know, after it's dark with, and preferably without spooking deer. And I guess that's the main thing I would highly recommend people, especially if they're hunting the more mature bucks, the three year olds and older. If they're hunting those, we want to kill those deer, which we all dream about it. They better and they definitely need to keep the, the hunting disturbance or the, the human disturbance to a minimum. Try to keep from spooking the deer at all if possible. Try to keep it to a minimum. So kind of lay out their entry and exits from those food plots when they select the food plot sites. Another idea that, that I, I like, a lot of guys uh, you know, are limited on the amount of time they can hunt. You know, they're, they're real people that hunt all week long, and you know, they hopefully get to hunt on, on the weekends. If that be the case, 
they may want to invest in an additional lock-on stand or a ladder stand, whatever their preference is, and put a stand on either side of the field because if one of those weekends that they want to hunt, the wind blowing the wrong way, yeah. They've got a stand set up no matter which, I'm not, you know, again, I'm not in the tree stand business trying to sell more tree stands, but it might be an investment that would be worthwhile to do that. Now, a lot of people will say, no, 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 you don't want to ever hunt over the food plot. You leave that alone. Hey, that's fine, too. There's a lot of people that do that. What they'll do, they'll hunt the trails that lead to and from the food plots. Mm-hmm. You know, getting, getting back anywhere from 50 to a few hundred yards away from the field itself to catch the deer on to and from. And sometimes that's a good idea, especially for mature bucks, because the reality is if anybody's ever hunted on a green field or a food plot, it seems like, you know, right at, right at dark when it's just getting so dark you can't see, that's when all the deer flood out there, mm-hmm. uh, especially if there's been some pressure on. So by backing off that field, you can catch some of the more mature, uh, uh, bigger bucks on their way to the fields before shooting, legal shooting time ends. Gotcha, gotcha. But, well, you know, I'm gonna, you know, Chris, excuse me for babbling on here, but I, I tend, I lean more toward getting closer to the field. I've gotten, you know, I, I want to kill the bigger deer, but I love watching deer. And being able to see the field, you're going to, you know, if you've got any deer in there, you're going to be able to watch a deer and watch them in a calm situation where they're having, you know, whether it's little ones chasing each other around or, you know, the smaller bucks sparring or chasing the does around. And then, you know, as the show's going on occasionally, you know, that magic moment hits, you know, and that four-year-old that's, you know, whether it's 130, 180 inches, whatever the case may be, he steps out and, you know, your knees get to jumping around and, you know, your breathing gets real erratic and your mind's not working properly. And, you know, it's hard to explain that emotion. People don't hunt and had that experience. They won't understand. But when you're sitting there and all that's going on, uh, you know, the efforts that you put into putting in a food plot uh, uh, obviously uh, become well worth it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I think the hunting aspect of it is very similar to the, the planting aspect in that, as you said, you know, very early in this show, we, we can sit here and talk about everything from A to Z, but every property is different. And because of that, I think that what everyone, you know, if you talk to anybody who's done food plots for a number of years, they never stop learning and refining and improving to just hone in on what seems to work best for their area and the same thing with the hunting you know over the time as years go by you learn to have more success with your your food plots because you're you're more and more familiar with your property and the same thing with hunting you know you learn what seems to work the best in your area to kind of get the most bang for your buck in in terms of the hunting payback on how to approach these food plots that you've put in yes you know and it's like anything the more you do it hopefully you definitely should the better you should be getting at it whether it be food plotting or hunting or whatever or you know or your your job uh if you're doing things right and, and you should be getting better and uh as time goes on you can fine-tune things um again what we're talking about is very basics and number one is, is if, for example our website whitetailinstitute.com we've got articles on there specifically on how to select the right forage those are articles that are available on that website. Uh, so they, you know, no matter what their application is, you know, a white tail institute product should work. Uh, it, you know, if not a, a multitude of them, probably several of them will work. They can make a choice on what best suits their needs. But I'll get back to the same thing. If people remember three things, 
Number one is before they do a sort, unless they're going to do something real quick, like we were talking about early on, like a secret spot plot where they need to get it done real fast. If they want to plan long term, the best money they can spend is on a soil test. And once they're hunting it, try to keep the human disturbance to a minimum. You know, riding up on the fields on a four-wheeler and getting out and getting in your stand ain't a good idea. You know, try to hunt the deer without the deer knowing you're there, whether it's a small property or a big property. That's crucial. Yeah, and that's some wise words to live by, whether you're on a food plot or 100 miles from the nearest one. <laughs> well, exactly right. Because, you know, those big guys, I mean, they didn't get to be four or five years old by making a whole lot of mistakes. And if we bump them a couple times during the hunting season, you know what's going to happen. We're going to force them to become nocturnal. They're going to move strictly at night unless the rut's on. Then, you know, all bets are off when that's going on. Just get in your stand and hang on. Try to stay all day. But, uh, but try to hunt them without them knowing you're there, and you can have a lot better experience and a lot better chance of killing a more mature deer. Well, Steve, I, uh, I want to really thank you for your time. I think that uh, you had a lot of wisdom to offer, and hopefully folks that are either doing food plots or are interested in maybe doing one here either this year or in the years ahead got, got some good information there. I know I'm looking forward to sitting over some plots uh, this fall, uh, particularly uh, we'll be hunting in Illinois the first week of November, and I know that the landowner there has some nice plots in. Uh, I hope he has them all planted with Whitetail Institute products, and if he does, by golly, I'm, I'm, I'm counting the score right now, buddy. <laughs> well, I hope he does, too, and I wish you the best of luck on that, and I sincerely appreciate the opportunity to be in on. And, if, you know, and again, I encourage anybody listening to, uh, you know, to use those resources that we talked about earlier, whether they go to our website, whitetailinstitute.com, you know, if they want to call one of our consultants or they want to get information, or if they want to order that free seed and DVD we talked about earlier, that number is 800-688-3030. They can call and ask any questions they've got. We'll help them any way we can. And also, if they want to take advantage of that free uh, uh, samples of seed as well as an hour-long DVD, call the same 800 number. They pay shipping and handling, $9.95. Uh, it's under 10 bucks. Uh, that 800-688-3030. We'll help them any way we can. Hey, thanks a lot, Steve. Good luck to you this fall. And uh, send me a picture of the big one when you kill them, okay? Uh, well, hopefully we get to we get to uh, trade pictures back and forth. Hopefully it's good for both of us. I wish you the best. Sounds good, man. Bye bye now. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for listening to Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio with editor Christian Burr. For more information on this and other topics, pick up a copy of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on newsstands now. <laughs>